Are you crying? Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Let me tell you something. Roger Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig shit. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play. And did I cry? No. No, you know why? Because there's no crying in baseball. There's simply no crying in baseball. So no tears will be shed during today's pod. Because as of this Friday, opening day will commence. The MLB regular season will be starting. So I couldn't think of a better topic to talk about today than to talk about my favorite baseball movies that I watch to get ready for opening day and the movies that I love to watch on repeat and not just during baseball season but any time of the year. So as of this Friday rolling all the way through the end of October maybe even early into the first week of November baseball season will be in full swing that means only one thing There will be no crying, there will be no tears shed between at least Friday and Halloween. Now, I had always said that uh, before my first kid was born, that that'd be the number one rule I teach them. There's no crying in baseball. And I hope, I doubt that that's really going to happen. I'm pretty sure at some point this weekend he's going to cry because we didn't let him eat a Tide Pod or we didn't we're not going to watch Sonic the Hedgehog for four times uh four times in one day or um he can't dip his uh dip his Nutri-Grain bar in the dog's water bowl so pretty understandable reasons really that's I'm the one that's pretty selfish uh I really should let him do those things to avoid a fit and to avoid crying but you know I'm just not that good of a parent so I always make opposite decisions which usually aren't very good but we're not here to talk about who's going to win parent of the year in 2023 we're here to talk about our favorite baseball movies and if you guys aren't baseball fans i do encourage you to stick around uh baseball is something that's very important to me uh probably my oldest probably my oldest hobby and my first love uh, so a lot of these movies are very personable to me, and they're a lot of them are fucking hilarious because you know I'm a I'm a sucker for comedy. I'm a sucker for um, uh, comedy that doesn't make sense. I don't know what the proper word or genre for that kind of what those kind of movies are. Goofy, I guess. Uh, but let's not necessarily rank, but let's just kind of go through a list of the of the baseball movies that I love to watch, especially during this time of year. Um, and movies that unfortunately I will be passing on to the next generation and keeping this uh, goofy, um, moronic sense of humor alive. And as always, there's probably going to be something on this list that that's not on either that's on not on someone's list, or there's going to be something that I omit. And I already know there's a couple movies that I'm going to omit that uh, that are on, usually on a lot of people's favorite lists, uh, just because I haven't seen them or. I've watched them once or twice years ago, and I just really can't speak of them again. So, guys, hit up the Q&A. If you're listening on Spotify, hit up the Q&A. I'm going to leave a poll on there. Let me know what movie, what's a baseball movie that you like and that you love that's not necessarily on this list, or if there's a movie on this list that you do love to watch. I'd love, I'd love, love, love to hear about it from you and see what you guys' opinions are. Um, if you're not a baseball fan, like I said, I just do encourage you to watch a few of these movies. There's a, there's several movies on here that 
don't necessarily just appeal to the person who loves baseball, but they have some interesting topics, such as the movie uh, 42, the Jackie Robinson story, talks about how Jackie coming in and playing as the first black male in the major leagues and being a pioneer um, for other future black players and uh, transforming the helping the league turn the corner and transform into the league that it has become today. Uh, very popular, popular movie, but we will talk about that one on this list a little later. So guys, sit tight, up into the box, and let's get ready to play ball. and welcome back to All Screws Loose, Thoughts Unhinged. Guys, this week we have officially been together for one whole month. So let's celebrate like our old, crazy, middle school girlfriends and boyfriends used to celebrate. It's our one month anniversary. I love you, baby. We're going to be together forever. And I better quit talking shit because I started dating my wife in ninth grade and we've been married for eight years now, so I better not talk too much shit. But yes, guys, we've been <laughs> we've been we've been t- doing this thing together for a month now. I so appreciate you guys, and I appreciate your support, and I appreciate everyone who's been commenting, uh, taking part of the polls, and uh, responding on the Q and A's. Guys, keep it up. I love to hear from you guys, and as as you guys continue to uh, respond and interact, I will publish all those, and you can see all those on on the podcast Spotify page um, as they come in. I just hit publish, and I try to respond to everybody, but I definitely appreciate it. Let's keep this momentum and movement going, guys, and let's shift our gears back to uh, back to talking about some movies. Um, today specifically talking about my favorite, our favorite baseball movies, and you guys aren't going to want to miss next week's episode when we're going to be dissecting a personal favorite of mine. We're going to devote an entire episode to one movie with two special guests, the hosts of Too Drunk to Theory, as we talked about last week. Ship and Kit will be on the show with us next week, and we're going to talk about one of the greatest Western movies ever made. One of the best movies of the 1990s, the movie Tombstone, starring Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, and many more. So you guys aren't going to want to miss that and miss us talking about what makes it so great. Some of our favorite quotes, and you know me and the damn movie quotes. This movie is so chock full of them. Uh, Almost all of Val Kilmer's little bits in this movie are quotable. Uh, You know, of course, everyone knows, and I'm pretty sure you've... at least seen the meme of it, you know, the, I'm your Huckleberry, um, such a popular quote, uh, by a, a damn good actor, but let's save Tombstone for next week's pod, and let's get into the first baseball movie that I want to talk about, and let's keep it light, let's go with some good, good old goofy comedy to start it off, but who doesn't love the movie The Benchwarmers, starring Rob Schneider, David Spade, and Napoleon Dynamite himself, John Hedder. Now, if you love Adam Sandler movies, even though Adam's not in this movie, uh, he's it's got the uh, it's got two of the reoccurring cast members in a lot of his movies with Rob Schneider and David Spade. But it's there the combination of those two with the addition of John Hedder uh, makes for a 
a good, a goofy mid 2000s classic that has so many good quotes, so many just dumb ass, just dumb ass scenarios and kind of slapstick humor, I guess is how I would des- I would describe it. And for a goofier movie, uh, the movie does have a, a cameo of one of the greatest baseball players to ever play the game. Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, makes his appearance in this movie, trying to teach uh, teach the three main characters the fundamentals of baseball and how to get the two other members of the older guys team, specifically David Spade's character Richie and John Hedder's character Clark, uh, trying to get them to develop more as baseball players so they can produce uh, to the team instead of it just being uh, Rob Schneider's character, Gus, uh, being the only one scoring runs and getting people out. Uh, but the the main focus of the story focuses on those three characters. And so Richie and Clark were both bullied when they were growing up, weren't allowed to play baseball, looked down from the jocks and were uh, beaten up, be- be stewed, uh, or just pretty much just picked on, um, and were kind of secluded from the uh, from the group that got to play baseball. Then you have Gus, on the other hand, who owns Gus's landscaping business. But Gus wasn't bullied as a kid; uh, he wasn't kept from playing baseball. In fact, Gus was actually almost a a little league phenom, and uh, was a bully himself in his hometown, which isn't the town that the movie set in and later in the movie we find out you know that he bullied a kid so bad he's a he's a midget guy and he bullied him so bad that he never left his mom's home still lives in her basement still plays with toys and and uh cat spells and builds uh peanut butter sculptures and uh later that so gus keeps that a secret because when he finds out that uh, Clark and Richie were uh, were bullied and that some of the kids now are being bullied from playing baseball, he kind of intervenes and he challenges the uh, kids that are the kids that bully. He says, "I tell you what, you know, he challenges them. If me, Clark, and Richie can beat you guys in baseball, you got to get off the field and let these other kids play." And so that's how it develops. They make their own team and they then they did take on all the surrounding. I guess surrounding towns or local baseball teams all for a grand prize of a new stadium being built. And they get the money for that from one of the kids that they save from being bullied because his dad is a millionaire. And he brings this idea that you guys are going to start this team and go around and beat everyone. And the winner is going to get this stadium, this little, this field that's pretty much a, um, is a stadium that it's modeled after Wrigley, Fenway, and Yankee Stadium. Um, and the point being is that then, then after they win, no one can kick the bully kids off of their of a baseball field again since it'll be their own field. And apparently all the people who bullied Clark and Richie growing up, now they are in charge of all the little league teams and it's their kids that are playing on these teams. So these are all the kids that Clark and Richie played against that got bullied by and now they're meeting this guy Gus and they know he's the only one that's good and they're always talking always trying to talk shit to them and say you know you're nothing without Gus and it's the interactions between you know the the group of three with these other people that are so memorable and so quotable 
like when when I think like the main antagonist comes up to him in a pizza and he's like, "What are you doing with Richie Bitchy and Clark the what does he call him? No, it's right. It's nothing creative. It's just Clark the dork." And so Gus stands up for him, and all and all Jerry could come up with is, "Okay, Gus, Gus Bus." <laughs> oh wow. I don't think I'm ever going to recover from that one, Jerry. Thanks. And then later, the millionaire, the millionaire dad, fucking uh, gives them a, an RV, literally named the Gus Bus, to drive around to other towns to play their little league teams. But easily, the funniest and most quotable scenes in this movie come from when uh, when the benchwarmers are playing the uh, the team the team from uh, Wayne's Hardware. Uh, <laughs> And so by this time, excuse me, and by this time we're a little bit later into the tournament and the bench rumors have, have kind of beaten off, you know, about four or five of the other teams. So now the, uh, a lot of the other guys are getting worried. They're like, man, we want this stadium. How the hell do these two, these three rejects keep beating us? So they get an idea to, <laughs> to loan this Dominican, this grown Dominican player named Carlos to Wayne's Hardware. <laughs> And Wayne, who's played by Tim Meadows in this movie, uh, is so he's so set that you know, and literally says, "No, you know what, Jerry? Thanks for your offer, but my team kicks ass." And so he says no to Carlos, but during the interaction with Jerry introduces him, Carlos is drinking and he's got a full goatee, and he claims that uh, when he's asked, when Tim Meadows asks him, hey, "How how how old are you?" I am twelve. <laughs> he he responds with, uh, "Yeah, more like twelve hundred." So then he passes uh, Wayne. He he passes him his birth certificate. Like, Check my birth certificate, and it's just a <laughs> shitty picture of him. And above it, in green crown, is written the words, "I am 12. And he tells, and Carlos tells him, uh, "It's legit. I, you know, I'm legit." But Wayne declines. He says, "You know, his team kicks ass and doesn't need him." So as the game commences and Wayne's team goes down by a few runs, and he can tell that. Fuck! I'm gonna need I'm gonna need this Carlos guy if I'm gonna win this game. So he calls a timeout and signals to Jerry to send Carlos over, who is sitting in the outfield. And all he decides to do is hop the fence with his beer in his hand and run to the dugout to get changed. And so they decide to go ahead and use that birth certificate. But uh, Tim Meadows' character slides in a uh, a crisp ten dollar bill to the umpire. So when they ask. When they ask the umpire, you know, man, like, this guy can't play. He's 50. He's got a mustache. All he does, all the umpire does is, uh, he opens up the fake bar certificate and finds the tin. <laughs> Quickly puts the tin in his pocket and <laughs> he's got documentation. Play ball. So as the game progresses, you know, Carlos starts hitting dingers and just rakes against Gus on the mound. And, uh, but at the same, the entire time while he's playing, he's still drinking while he's pitching on the mound too. So while he's on the mound, before he throws a pitch, he takes a drink of, uh, of tequila and he starts to get, he starts to get drunk. So he'll, uh, he'll randomly start blurting out. I guess it's never really told, but I guess his ex-wife or girlfriend or whatever his name is, Maria. So before he'll pitch, you know, he's, he'll scream out, Maria, why did you leave me? And so when we were kids, after we watched this movie, when we would play, that's what that's what some of us would do during practice. Maria! <laughs> so as that game ends, they have to bring in uh, David Spade's character, uh, Richie's brother, uh, who is Howie. 
and he's Howie isn't. <laughs> I almost called him an albino, but Howie is afraid of the sun, so he stays indoors all day. He never comes in. And the only reason they got him to get on the bus and come out of town to this game and sit in the dugout was because they told him that there's a killer going around the neighborhood killing everybody named Howie. And he's like, that's my name. That's my name, Richie. So Howie has to go up to bat, and Carlos, the bases are loaded, and uh, the game is tied. So they just have to score one run to win. And so Howie goes up to bat, and Carlos is shit faced at this point, and he, you kind of get a, you kind of get his, uh, his point of view. You get to see his vision, and he's seeing three of Howie's because he's so drunk, and he's like, "Oh, look at all those albinos," and he ends up beaming Howie's, <laughs> he ends up beaming Howie and making him cry. But, but by doing that, the bases were already loaded, so Howie goes down the first, and they, the bench rollers score, and they win the game. And Carlos being so drunk, when Tim Meadows goes up to him, he's like, Carlos, you're drunk. And he just throws up all over him. So I advise you guys, if you're going to drink, let's not play baseball and do it. Um, I guess I guess I spoke too late because if you've never been to a men's softball, softball tournament, a softball game, uh, that's pretty much all they do. The, gate, the cooler's not filled with Gatorade. It's filled with Michelob or Coors Light. And uh, everyone goes up to the batter's box like Carlos. And they're like, dude, you smell like beer. You look like beer. So The Bench Warmers is definitely one of the movies that I, I will watch. If it's on, I'm going to sit down and watch it. Unfortunately, right now, I can't find it on Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max. Uh, if you guys if you guys know where I can find it, please let me know. Because I, I love that movie and I want to watch it. That's one I want to show freely. Um, uh, but I'm having a hard time being able to find it. Uh, one of the other one of the other baseball movies that I love to watch is uh, the 2011 uh, movie Moneyball, starring uh, Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, which is more of a more serious movie and and gets more into the uh, analytics of the game because it follows Billy Bean, who was the who is still uh, the general manager of the Oakland A's. And how he took an analytic approach to the game in two thousand uh, prior to the two thousand and two season, and we won't. I won't totally get into what that means uh, because that will kind of bore anyone who's not a baseball fan. You start talking about analytics and numbers and tendencies. I, mean, I know I'm going to lose some uh, some attention spans there. I get that. But basically, so the year prior, uh, the Oakland A's they reached the. Uh, I want to say they either reach the American League Divisional Series or the ALCS, and they lose to the Yankees. And not so, you know, you get that far. You normally you would think, okay, well, next year we've got these guys coming back. We're gonna we're gonna do just as good, if not better. Well, kind of the story of the Oakland A's goes in real life is um, they're a farm system for the rich. And so they lose three superstars in Johnny Damon, who goes on with the Red Sox, and we know that Johnny Damon and them win the World Series in 2004. Um, Isringhausen and uh, Jason, yeah, Jason Giambi end up getting bought out. And I don't, I'm not sure if both of them go to the Yankees. I'm pretty sure Giambi goes to the Yankees. And so basically they've been gutted, they've been gutted and they've got to rebuild. And so Brad Pitt, his character, Billy Bean, his character Billy Bean is thinking, well, we got to shake things up and do things different. And he kind of, he meets Jonah Hill's character, uh, Pete, who is a uh, economics grad from Yale. 
and he values what Pete has to say because it's different than how people in baseball normally look at things. And he explains how he finds value in players that most baseball people overlook. And basically, uh, they get a lot of inspiration from this man named Bill James, who in the late 70s wrote a book about baseball analytics and gets a lot of hate from the baseball community. Anyways, so they had kind of adopt this system and make it their own and develop all these algorithms and projections. And so they go out, instead of paying all this money, and of course, here's one thing to note before we, before we talk about that is, the Oakland A's aren't a very rich team, and the owner talks about that when Billy goes to ask him for more money. He's like, hey, we're a small market team, and you're a small market GM. We don't have the money, so don't don't ask me to spend money that I don't have. And so now Billy is Billy is trying to uh, kind of maximize on that and find value in players that are often overlooked. So he tries to put together this team and go after new players at, who cost a fraction um, a fraction of the cost that uh, superstars like Johnny Damon and G- Jason Giambi cost. And so they go out and buy players who have been overlooked, and one of them is Scott Hatterberg, who was let go by the Red Sox. And he's got, and as one of the scouts tells Billy, like, man, this is a bad idea. You want to go after a defective player who's been released by, you know, so many teams who has uh, non-repairable nerve damage in his elbow, and you can't throw. And it should be noted that Hatterberg is a catcher. So if, you, if you're playing catcher in baseball, you've got to throw, because you've got to be able to throw the runner out for, if he's still in uh, first to second or second to third, or if there's a bunt, you got to throw it to uh, first. See, this is where I could lose you if we're going to talk baseball, but we're not doing that right now. I do apologize. Um, but Billy tells him, you know, well, that's all fine and dandy, but we're, uh, we want him at first. And that raises a red flag because if you know anything about baseball, first base, that is a, it's, it's very, it is a very hard uh, position to play. And when, uh, when Billy takes Ron Washington uh, to Hatterberg's house to tell him, "Hey, this is your contract. We want you to play baseball. You know, let us know." Um, he he's sitting down with him in his house, and he's like, uh, "Scott, I know you're nervous about playing first, but guess what? It's not that hard. Tell him, Wash." And Ron Washington doesn't miss a beat in the movie. He's like, "It's incredibly hard." And as Rangers fans, I actually really think it's cool because. Ron Washington, as we know, was the Rangers manager back in the late 2000s and into the mid-2010s, who led uh, the Rangers to the World Series uh, two years in a row in 2010 and 2011. So even though he was with the A's at the time, it's just cool to see that. So they end up signing Hatterberg and a couple other players, uh, J- Jason Giambi's little brother Jeremy, and uh, and some other lower players, and they... As the years gone on, they developed Carlos Pena, who was a superstar. Well, he was an all-star, and uh, but he just doesn't fit the bill as to what they're trying to do. He doesn't get on base enough as much as everyone else, so it doesn't fit the analytic profile that they're trying to follow. So they end up trading him mid-season, and everyone's like, "What the fuck are you doing? You you have this horrible. The team is doing terrible. And this is your only bright spot. Your only all-star." Which on the outside looking in, you know, I would say the same thing. Like, what the hell are you doing? But he's following the system that he believes in. And even though the team starts off terrible, by the after the All-Star break, they start turning it around. And it started turning heads. And 
in the year in in 2002 the uh the American League uh winning streak record was uh was 19 and so this team that everyone's you know making fun of and saying is set up for failure all of a sudden starts going on this winning streak and they end up setting the record for most wins by an American League team in a row um, ever. And so they win 20 straight games, which held up until 2017 until the Cleveland Indians broke that record. Um, but this is a team that cost a fraction. If the I can't remember the exact amount of payroll that the Yankees that the Yankees paid. Uh, that year, and the Yankees went on to win their division and uh, made it to the playoffs, only to lose to Anaheim, the Anaheim Angels at the time, um, in the uh, American League Divisional Series. But we know Anaheim ended up going on to win uh, the World Series that year. Um, but Billy paid a fraction, you know, that he was paying his payroll was a fraction of of these big te- these big rich teams, and he made it. You know, he was first place in the American League West made it to the divisional series only to lose to Minnesota. And so it took it got a lot of attention and you know now if you if you pay attention and follow baseball, there's a ton of there's a ton of analytics and stats that we're looking at now that when I was a kid and I don't know if it's a case of I was a kid and I didn't know or if they weren't following it, but there are stats all over baseball. I mean, we're looking at exit velocities, we're looking at launch angle, we're looking at war, batting, fielding, pitching war, which like I said, all of that shit that we could we could probably have a six-part episode in baseball analytics, but we're not going to do that. Not right now, not in this episode at least. Uh, but so it, it kind of, I don't know if I want to say that Billy Bean changed baseball and changed the way people look at the game and manage the game, but things definitely did change and mine's kind of I don't know how to say it I I just don't think I want to go on a limb and say you change the game of baseball because it goes back to you still have to have knowledge of the game and you still have to have uh, you still have to know how to play the small ball to win and it kind of talks about that in the other movie too it's nice to have all these analytics but uh, baseball isn't one with numbers it's one on the field but it's a damn good movie, and it's a movie that I love to watch. I can't tell you how many times I've watched it at my last job. Uh, when I didn't come home from my hour break, I would just kind of put all my chairs together, make a small bed, and bring it up on Netflix on my phone. Uh, another movie that I just actually found, because I, I haven't been able to find it on any kind of uh, streaming networks or anything, but I did find it for $4 at a movie store uh, here in town, is uh, Mr. 3000 with Bernie Mac. And I I love that movie and rest in peace Bernie Mac uh, man a genius com- a genius com- uh, comic um, but Mister Three Thousand is used to come on come on TV all the time when I was a kid I'd always watched it uh, one of the funny things about this movie actually to me is so the movie follows Bernie Mac's character Stan Ross who plays for the Milwaukee Brewers right and. So he played, and the movie shot in Milwaukee. It's it's uh, it's filmed at their at their stadium, um, but on the cover of the movie, he's standing. Uh, Bernie Mac is standing in the middle of uh, of Globe Life Park, which at the time was called either Ameriquest Field Arlington or, the, or I know it as 
the old Rangers ballpark. I know it as the ballpark in Arlington. So the Texas Rangers have nothing to do with this movie. They're not even in the movie as an opponent at all. But yet, in the on the cover of the DVD, he's standing in the middle of the Rangers ballpark. And I always just thought that's funny. And you can easily tell by uh, the batter's eye and the, the backdrop. It's, I mean, if you look at Rangers ballpark, the old one, not Globe by Field now, um, you can definitely tell, like, what does this have to do with the Milwaukee Brewers or this at all? But I don't know. I guess they didn't think that baseball fans would watch, would see that and be like, yeah, you know, we'll just slap any stadium on there. We'll draw names from a hat and just slap it on there as the back, as the background. And when I bring stuff like stuff like that up to my wife, she's like, wow, I would have never guessed and I would have never cared. <laughs> but so the story is so in the in the late 90s or in the 90s murray max character he's a smart ass he's a hothead well he gets his 3000th hit which 3000 3000 hits in baseball is a milestone and usually spells hall of fame so he gets his 3000th hit and they're still in the middle of the season and when he's interviewed after the game in the locker room he's like and i'm retiring that's it i'm walking away from baseball i got mine this is it this is my ticket to the hall of fame i'm done so then fast forward maybe almost 10 years, someone's looking at stats, Stan Ross's stats, and they find out that one he had a three-hit game one day, and it was recorded twice. So now instead of having 3,000 hits, he's three hits short, and he only has 2,997. So then he he gets permission, and the team decides to uh, to go along with it because their attendance is so poor they're losing a lot of games and they need something to bring the fans back to the ballpark they decide to let Stan Ross come back during uh, September call-ups and uh, try to get his get three hits before the season's over so he can get his 3,000 hits back which he ends up coming up one short um, but Bertie Mac has has such good sound bites from it and he he has such good quotes from the movie that make it so funny, but uh, but when he gets to the when he gets to the stadium and he goes into the clubhouse for the first time, you know a lot of the a lot of the current players know how he was, and then they're not a fan of somebody coming in. Oh, that's right. In a in an interview before uh, before he got back on the team, he's telling reporters that uh, yeah, you know the the Brewers are a little league team and they need me so. The team hears him say this, and they're pissed off when he uh, when he comes into the clubhouse. And one of them is this: uh, he's an Asian pitcher, uh, and he's and he's uh, his locker's next to Bernie Mac's characters. And he's tried to call him a son of a bitch, and he can't talk he can't talk shit very well. And he ends up telling him he's like, "You son of my dick." And Bernie Mac's like, "Son of my dick? What? What the hell?" And that's when one of the guys tells him, like, hey, man, that's what's his name? He, he doesn't know how to talk shit. Don't worry about him. So as the movie goes on, you know, he develops he develops the relationship with the with the guys. And one of the things he's going to do is uh, he goes up to that pitcher when they're in the middle of a game. He's trying to get him out of a jam. And he's like, all right, man, we're going to get you out of this inning. And I'm going to teach you how to cuss, too. So later, he it shows him talking to me. He's like, all right, finish the sentence. Son of a... And he's probably bitch very good all right kiss my and the asian guy's like black ass and he's like whoa 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 just just ask now baby just ask okay don't be adding that on there 
And then one thing that I actually still say today if I'm watching a game on TV, and, you know, on TV you can see it tells you what pitch they're throwing, and it's a lot easier to tell than if you're watching the game uh, in real time. And so it'll tell you, oh, they're pitching a curveball. Or if I'm playing, like, the show, like MLB The Show on PlayStation and, and someone's throwing curveballs, well, <clears throat> Stan Ross ends up picking – he finds out that one of the opposing pitchers is tipping their pitches. So basically what that means is – He's doing something, and it gives away that he's going to throw a pitch. And so he deciphers that he's tipping his curveball. So now he dips, he brings his elbow in every time he's going to throw a curveball. And so he's telling everyone in the dugout, like, uh, look, look, he's tipping his pitch. And they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's a curveball. All right, you might be on to that. And so he's just in the dugout talk, just continue going on about it. And he's like, if he throw another curveball, I'm going to slap the shit out you. And so I'll... <laughs> I'll play the show, and uh, and if I'm hitting, you know, and someone throws me a curveball, and I whiff on it, I sort of always, I always in my head. Either I say it out loud, or it's in my head. You know, if you throw another curveball, I'm gonna slap the shit out of you. So one thing that baseball movies kind of have in common is, you know, baseball movie brings a lot of comedy, and and that's one thing I, I guess I love about it because in the dug, if you play baseball in the dugout, I mean, there's even though we're we're trying to be focused on the game, but during practice or in the middle of the game, uh, during those downtimes, I mean, we do, there's a lot of laughing and a lot of shit talking that's happening in the dugout. And so that's one thing I like about these movies that incorporates a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of humor uh, in these scenes. Uh, but a couple other movies, uh, baseball movies that I, I love to watch during this time of year uh, are a few Disney movies. Uh, so the Disney put out uh, in the early 2000s a movie called The Rookie, and then in the 90s they did a remake. Which unfortunately, this movie is not on Disney Plus, and it kind of makes me mad. Like it's a Disney movie, but Angels in the Outfield. It's a remake. I don't. I don't really know when the original came out, but I've only ever seen the one in the 90s, which features a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a the, um, the manager George Knox is played by uh, uh, by uh, Danny Glover who is known to be, you know, in his roles as a, as a detective in a Lethal Weapon alongside Mel Gibson. And he's kind of just this harsh, harsher character. And it's, it's weird to see him and imagine him being in a kid's baseball movie, but he does a good job. And he's, he's pretty coarse in this movie, too, as a normal baseball manager kind of is. He ends up punching one of the members of the media at the beginning of the movie, and they end up getting into a, into a fight until they have to pull him off of him. Uh, but the movie is, it's a, it's a feel good movie, you know, the quick synopsis is this kid, Henry, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, um, he's, he's in the California system, he's in a foster home, and he's basically waiting to find out what's going to happen to him, is he going to go to a, is he going to go to a full care home instead of this temporary home he's at, or is his dad going to take him back? Well, he sees his dad, and his dad's fully set on that he's going to give over his rights, and you know he's going to give up the kid. Uh, and so Roger sees him, and he's like, "Dad, you know what? What's it going to take for us to be a family again?" Blah blah blah. And the dad tells him, "The way I see it, it'll happen when the angels win the pennant." And at the time, you know, the angels are dog shit, kind of like they are now, even though they have two the two best players on the planet. Um, but that's another topic of discussion for the day, how they are wasting Mike Trout and Shohei Otani's careers. 
Uh, but he tells him, you know, when the Angels win the pennant, that's probably where it'll happen. Thinking it's not gonna, it's never gonna happen. Well, this Henry kid gets help from le- legitimate angels from heaven, and they're there to help the, uh, they're there to help the angels win. And so basically, as the season goes on, telling the story of how these angels appear, show themselves to only Henry, not to anyone else, and they're helping the team win. Uh, like one in the first instance is, uh, and the movie actually has Matthew McConaughey. Uh, he plays the center fielder, and the first instance of the Angels helping is when a fly ball is hit, and they end up picking him up, and he floats to the ball. And of course, no one can see the Angels, so everyone just thinks that you know McConaughey just has ups, and he can just fucking just jump and fly and make a miraculous catch. And so. They go on and help them get into the playoffs, which at that point then it has to be done on their own and uh, and actually do help the Angels win the pennant. But somewhere between the between uh, all that and the end of the movie, you know, Roger finds out his dad's going to sign him sign him over and he's going to enter the system. Uh, but despite all that, even though that sounds now that I say that it sounds kind of grim, it's pretty it, it's a pretty happy go lucky movie. He gets adopted. He doesn't go to a home. Uh, the the manager of the team adopts him, uh, and actually, so the Angels in the outfield has a scene when the team goes on a winning strike and they play the "Take Me Out to the Ball Game" song uh, to the entire scene. That's actually one that me and Freely watch sometimes because Freely will sing, you know, "Take Me Out to the Ball Game," uh, and actually, he almost sings it better than I do, even though he doesn't know the words and it's just kind of gibberish. You know, it starts "Take Me to Your Ball Game." Sounds a lot better than me singing it. Uh, but the rookie, the rookie's another is another story. It's a more serious story, but it's a, of course it's a feel good story. I mean, why would they make a baseball movie about failure, right? Because everyone fucking wins in these movies. Uh, but this old high school teacher, apparently he back in the day he used to be uh, he used to be a phenom. And it's based on a true story, too. So this high school teacher, he leaves baseball because he keeps getting hurt. And so he decides to call it quits, and he becomes a teacher. And in the movie, his kids uh, find out that he can pitch, and he can still throw about as fast as the car that drove by my house just now. And uh, he's also the baseball coach of the... uh, of the uh, team where he teaches at. And so his team, his lackluster team, and he's telling the team, you know, like, do we need to try harder? We need to win better. We need to think about what y'all are going to do after high school and after baseball. And so he comes up to challenge them. The kids end up giving him a choice. We'll try harder, and we'll try to make the state tournament. If you, afterwards, if we get that far, you go try out for another major league team. And so the team makes it to the tournament, and he uh, he, he decides to start finding these tryouts, and he goes to it. Well, he ends up showing that he can pitch, you know, in the 90s again. And uh, Tampa... The Tampa Bay, they were called the Devil Rays at the time. Now they're just called the Rays. They ended up picking him up and assigning him to a a minor league team. So he has to, you know, he's quit his job as a teacher, let his wife kind of take care of everything, and everything's at home put on pause. And 
as a kid, it's not, you know, that doesn't seem like a big deal. But now it's like me quitting my job, solely going down to one income, having my wife take everything while I go off and try to play baseball. So it's actually a pretty, you got to be married to the right person to let you do that. Uh, so anyways, he goes to the miners and just when he's about to quit again, because he's not going anywhere, he gets called up and this, this is set in Texas too. So he's teaches in Texas, but he gets called, you know, he gets, he goes to play for another team that travels that's based in Florida and travels, of course, all over the the United States. Uh, but when he gets called up to, uh, the majors, he, uh, he finds out that the team that Tampa is on the road. And they're playing the Rangers in Ar- in Arlington, so he, he tells his wife, and you know the entire town of Big Lake, all twenty people end up showing up at the ballpark, and he gets called in as a as a reliever later in the game and strikes somebody out in three pitches. Um, so a feel good story, a good movie, way better than the way I just explained it. It's not as depressing as it sounds. I promise you that. Um, Dennis Quaid does a good job of um of playing the teacher and like i said it's teacher turned uh, 90 mile an hour fastball hurler um but based on a true story and i'm pretty sure you can find it on disney plus but you can't find angels in the outfield because they don't make any fucking sense as to what they put on their app or not and i don't think we could talk baseball movies without talking about the field of dreams which Field of Dreams I've seen and I've seen several times, but I just, I haven't seen it a ton. I don't so I don't know it like I know a bunch of other movies, and I don't know if it's because I have anxiety or if I have ADHD or what. But typically I watch the same movies over and over again. Uh, but Field of Dreams definitely not a comedy, uh, but has some of the most heartfelt moments and and uh, what the cool. The past two years, here's the cool one of the coolest fucking things is, so in in the in the movie, you know he it's it's set in Iowa. Uh, Kevin Costner plays this guy named Ray, and him and his wife and daughter live on this corn farm. Or I don't know if there's an actual word for that. If there is, forgive me. Um, and he gets this vision and this voice to you know build it, and they'll come, or he'll and, and he will come, and. Uh, I guess, man, I hope I didn't download the wrong version of that movie. <laughs> uh, so he he decides, with the support of his wife, he decides to uh, uh, level part of the cornfield and build a baseball field. And so, you know, it's actually one of the coolest looking baseball fields, you know, ever. And everyone who's, who grew up playing baseball knows what it looks like. So you have the diamond, and instead of there being a fence, it's just a cornfield, right? And so one of the one of the coolest things from the movie is you see all the players coming out of the cornfield or going back into it. Well, two years ago, Major League Baseball decided to do a Field of Dreams game, which was officially called MLB at the Field of Dreams, which takes place at the uh, at the scene of the ballpark um, from the movie, and and it featured the White Sox and the Yankees playing against each other. And one of the coolest part was the beginning. You know, Kevin Costner comes out and he's holding a baseball, and and this is at the game. This isn't in the movie. And he delivers his speech, and then all of a sudden, all the players from both teams start walking out of the cornfield and go into their dugouts. And if you've never seen Field of Dreams, it probably doesn't seem that cool. But growing up, 
I mean, Field of Dreams came out in 89 or 90, and I was born in 94, so I've always known this movie. I grew up watching it. I grew up playing baseball, so it's a big deal for people who play baseball. It was it was surreal. It was nostalgic, and uh, one of the coolest things, actually, I uh, on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page, I shared the MLB's video of that scene, and that was one of the last things that uh, my Uncle Paul, before he passed, that he shared he shared I had shared it and he shared it so that um that's what that kind of also makes me think of of Uncle Paul too but just reminds me of watching the movie and playing baseball as a kid and it just has it has a superstar cast too you have uh Kevin Costner Ray Liotta as Shoeless Joe Jackson uh James Earl Jones uh in his Darth Vader voice and you know we're gonna find out James Earl Jones does a few baseball movies and he's kind of quote unquote a voice of maybe a a voice of baseball somehow and and if you're familiar with the movie you know the whole hey dad you want to have a catch you know play catch with the way Kevin Costner plays catch with his dad at the end of the movie it's so moving and uh, you know now I feel like uh, now after I'm talking about it, now I feel like uh, the end of Big Daddy when <laughs> when everyone's telling their dad that they love him and he's can I use your phone and call my dad but uh Actually, now that I have a son, you know, once once he's coordinated enough and we can play catch, that's actually probably what I'm going to think about and don't want. So it's one thing I'm going to focus on if he ever asks me if I want to play catch. Well, even though I may be I may be tired, I may have worked all day, but I still need to make the time to do that. And it's probably the movie and the scene that I'm probably going to hopefully remember uh, at that time when he asked me, uh, so that I do go out there with him. So we're kind of moving into the the last few movies of the list. Um, and like I said, it's not a ranking, so it's not like I'm going into any order as which movies I think are more important. Uh, I'm just kind of... I, I wrote a lot of the movies down. I'm just kind of thinking about them and, and bringing them up as I go. Uh, but what are my... I mean, these are all my favorite. I probably said that to, to introduce almost all these movies, if not all of them. But literally, I do... One of my favorites is Rookie of the Year, uh, which is another 90s movie. Uh, as far as cast goes, I guess not that popular. Maybe at the in the time of the 90s, very popular. Uh, John Candy, of course, superstar, rest in peace. He's in this movie as as one of the announcers. But it follows the story of Henry Rowan Gardner, who, uh, who plays Little League Baseball also. Uh, but he injures his arm and... Um, he get puts he's gets put in this cast that keeps his arm up at a ninety degree angle the whole time, and so what happens is the tendons in his arm end up healing in such a way where he can now throw like a hundred mile an hour fastball, and so he goes to and he's he's from Chicago, and he gets he gets Cubs tickets uh, for his birthday, so him and his friends go. They sit in the bleachers and. <laughs> in the outfield and uh, one of the opposite teams hits a home run and one of the traditions that I guess that the Cubs bought at Wrigley is if an opposing team hits a home run uh, throw it back so everyone starts chanting throw it back and Henry and his two friends catch the ball and they're kind of they're like I'm not throwing it you throw it and so Henry gets it and he winds up to throw it and he can hear in his arm you know the tightening of his tendons and he flings the fucking ball he heaves it on a line from uh, from the from the bleachers in the outfield all the way to home plate, and the uh, 
and the throw it the before we go on so the throw it back uh the throw it back tradition is actually back from the 60s and it has to do with hank aaron someone threw one of hank aaron's home runs at wrigley field back and so now it's just kind of a thing that they do um now cubs fans have they have some weird traditions you know throw it back if i don't give a shit who it is if i'm at a rangers game and jose altuve who i cannot stand that midget bastard if he hits a home run and I catch it, I'm keeping that son of a bitch. Now, if it's his 500th home run and maybe he wants to offer me 300000 for it, maybe we'll talk. Maybe I'll throw it back to him. But I'm keeping it. But Wrigley, I mean, they have... I mean, you get, I guess you have to be a baseball fan and understand some of the stupid shit they've done. You know, with the throw it back, the Steve Bartman deal. Oh, Steve Bartman. Guys, here's, here is a, here's a good thing. Here's a good question for you guys. For... I don't know how many of you are baseball fans, but would you guys like to have a Steve Bartman episode? There's so much to that story. That story, and it is one of the craziest, just insane um, scandal. I will call it a scandal in baseball. Uh, if you want to hear that, I mean, let me know. Maybe I'll drop it as a Q&A on the Spotify page or... Uh, or on the Facebook page, uh, comment and let me know if once you can listen to this, you know, like, hey, yeah, I'd love to hear about Steve Hartman. Or I said, fuck you and fuck Steve Hartman. Uh, let me know. I mean, because that's that's something we could definitely go into detail about. Uh, but for now, as far as the Steve Hartman case goes, basically, uh, the Cubs were in uh, were in the playoffs, and they, you know, the Cubs hadn't won a World Series since since uh, I don't know the exact year, but it was in the early early 1900s. Like definitely before 1910, I want to say, and they had the longest the longest streak of uh, teams going without a World Series, um, even up to the date of when they won it in 2016. Um, but anyway, so a foul ball was hit, and it was going to the left field wall, and it was definitely going to be playable uh, by the left fielder. But a fan named Steve Hartman, who was wearing a headset, ended up reaching out interfering with the ball and it wasn't caught and he got booed the cameras all over him and they just keep the announcers and they just keep talking about oh man that fan really screwed uh screwed what's his name out of catching that ball and what hap- what happens next is it's almost you have to believe that the, there are baseball gods out there there is someone telling the story writing the script for baseball um the Cubs end up falling, uh, I think it's to the Dodgers, I want to say. Um, I'll have to go back and check the lore on that, check the facts. But they end up losing, and they blame it all on Steve Hartman. And that was in Game 6, I'm pretty sure. So they still had a Game 7 to play, and they go and they lose that Game 2. And this man was receiving death threats. Um, they found out where he lived. They were outside of his home. Uh, this man went into hiding so much and he was threatened so much he fell off the place of the he went off the grid uh the cubs i mean they hated him the cubs even offered him a world series ring after they won in 2016 uh after the end of the bartman curse uh but like i said we're not we won't spend too much time on the hartman's case with the cubs but if you do want to hear more on that please let me know email me comment on the facebook page uh answer one of the q a's on uh on spotify and uh, and let me know. Uh, but back to rookie of the year. So anyway, he does it after the Cubs in the middle of the Cubs game, and they 
Once again, one of the most popular storylines in baseball movies, I guess, is we're doing poorly, we're not having enough seats, we're not filling enough seats, we need more people, let's, uh, let's throw a baseball at the people who keep driving by my house like that. Um, so they're like, okay, we go get that, go, over who, go find the person who threw that ball and get him a contract. So they find out that it was a little kid, and basically he ends up getting uh getting a deal and gets to join the cubs and uh so he's no older than 12 i want to say and so he gets he's on the team and he gets to uh he gets to pitch well in the national league pitchers also bat so he gets to bat and he gets his first at bat on the road and uh in la against the dodgers <laughs> and uh, he has the same reaction i would have if i stepped in a big league box uh, batter's box <laughs> as the pitch is coming he's just kind of timidly just oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and he ends up walking he doesn't get he doesn't strike out he doesn't get hit but he ends up you know getting on base by balls uh, that's gotta if i stepped in against a hundred mile an hour even a 90 mile an hour pitcher that's my right oh my god oh my god oh my god but i want to say the way this movie ends it doesn't show them it doesn't show them playing in the championship games but at the end of the movie it shows that he has a world series ring and here's the weird thing about baseball movies uh you see these teams win but they never win it's always like they won the division or they won the pennant but you never see a, the story of a team winning a world series and this is one of the one of the few movies baseball movies that i've at least seen and that i remember where the main team who the story follows wins the World Series, not just the division or sneaks in and wins the wild card game or wins the division or championship series. No, they win the World Series, which is one thing we'll talk about when we get into talking about Major League and Major League Two. Um, but we'll save that one for a few more minutes. Um, but so, yes, that's Rookie of the Year. So the next one we'll talk about, uh, we're getting down to the last four or five that I just want to talk about today. Um, so the Bad News Bears. Uh, there's a there's an original there's a remake i actually love both of them i've seen both of them uh the original's funny the original would not make it today i'm just saying it would not it would get canceled it yeah it was a different time period um but the uh the remake and i want to say god damn it when was the remake and oh it's in the mid 2000s it's got billy bob thornton as the head coach who does such a good job of playing buttermaker um <laughs> Actually, me and my wife watched that. I showed that to her a few weeks ago. And I want to say she got a decent kick out of it. Uh, but the story follows, you know, in the original, I think he's called Boilermaker. And then he's Buttermaker in the new one. Uh, so he's an ex-big league pitcher, but he threw it away for booze and women and all that. So he's he's tasked to coach the local Little League teams, like rejects, kids that weren't allowed to play because they weren't good enough. And... um so he leads he gets aside he's tasked to coach these kids but he's still a drunk so he's not the best he's not the most suitable adult to to uh lead a group of children especially a group of kids who already have to fend for themselves basically cuz they're usually picked on and uh so in the new one at least i guess i kind of talk about the new one a little bit in the new one he's a uh he's a um uh, 
a pest controller. So he like goes and kills mice under the houses and sprays for ants and shit. So he takes the kids with him to do those jobs. And uh, so he has the kids, you know, spraying for ants. And of course, the kids are all fighting amongst each other. So they're spraying each other with the, the pesticides. Like, knock it off. Shit's expensive. And it's the kind of shit that I would say now. You know, as a kid, I was probably the one spraying everyone else. But now I'm like, that shit's expensive. Knock, knock that off. And uh, so, of course, he's drinking on the job, too. And one of the kids comes around the corner and he's got the mouse, the rat traps in his hand. He's got two big ass rats that are on there. And he's like, uh, what, what should I do with these, Buttermaker? And he's like, go throw them away in the house. You know, don't throw them away outside. Go throw them away inside the house. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. save the traps, though. <laughs> if I was if I was a kid, if I was a kid playing Little League again and one of my coaches took me to a job like that. not Sorry. Nope. Not touching that shit. But basically, this is, is another story of camaraderie and how a team of misfits can come together. And even though they've been written off by so many, everyone else around them, they can still win games, which is basically what happens. Um, this team, who was rejected by everyone else in their local league, somehow comes together and finds a way to win. has nothing to do with the fact that Kelly Leak, who was who is a superstar uh, reject kid who comes in and just absolutely rakes. I mean, he hits home runs. He can field. He can catch. He can throw. Uh, he's, he's a five tools player at the little league level. Um, so not, that's kind of how it happens. You know, the, he starts coaching this team and he starts, does teaching them fundamentals. They start coming together, but then he adds pieces as, as Kelly leak, uh, who was, I, I want to say he was banned by the league for driving his motorcycle or something. And then one of his old girlfriend's old daughters can throw, can pitch, and he brings her in, too, to show him how it's done. Uh, but some of the funny scenes from this movie, from the new one, um, is uh, the first batting practice they have. So uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character, he's drunk, and everyone's in the, everyone's lined up to, to hit, so he's pitching to him, and he's He's so drunk that he's throwing the ball at all of them, and he hits a, he hits every single player, and he's like, "Oh, sorry," and all the players they're getting mad, they're like, "What are you doing, Buttermaker?" Well, uh, two of the kids are are uh, Mexican kids, and they don't they don't speak English; they only speak Spanish. <laughs> and he beams one of them, and he he's like, "Ah, su puta madre!" <laughs> and I was showing that to Danny the day. I I thought it was funny. I think she did too, but to me, if you, if you're a fan of baseball movies and, and if you watch them, you, it's just funny the way it happens. You, I see su puta madre, which translates to you motherfucker in English. And then of course, one of the <laughs> the catcher on the team is Engelberg, and he's this, he's a fat kid, and I can relate because I was always I was the fat kid on all my baseball teams, but I wasn't near as lazy or unathletic as Engelberg is in the movies. But uh, so in the new one. Engelberg is at home plate with Buttermaker while Buttermaker's hitting hitting uh, hitting balls to the in and outfield, and he's trying to tell him, you know, all right, plays it first, you know, whatever. So he's like, Engelberg, will you give me the ball? So he takes it out of his pocket, and out comes a a Ziploc bag of bacon. <laughs> and he's like, is it fucking bacon in your pocket, boy? And he's like, I'm on Atkins. He's like, what the fuck does that mean? He's all, <laughs> he's trying to explain to him what Atkins is. He's like, I have to eat all the time so that my body becomes a fat burning machine. So assholes like you don't give me shit all the time. But in the original, in the original movie, 
uh, he doesn't have a bag of bacon, but he gives the ball to to a boilermaker, and, and he's like, Engelberg, there's there's chocolate on the ball. <laughs> he, why are you always there? You go again, picking on the fat kid. Blah 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 blah. blah. So that's basically all the movie is, is just back and forth between the kids who fighting with themselves, fighting with the coach, fighting the other team, um, but somehow come together uh, to win enough games to get to the championship only to fall up, only to fall short uh, to the, to the, the Yankees, of course, the team that wins it all, it's of course going to be named the Yankees, uh, but definitely highly recommend both Bad News Bears. Uh, the first one, the second one, or the the original one and the new one. And I want to say there's a second new one, but I've not seen it. Doesn't look like worth watching. But if it ha- if it is, if you've seen it, um, of course I'd love to get your opinion on it. And if if my opinion about it is wrong and I should give it a shot, let me know. Um, so I won't. I will say these last two. I guess I'll rank them. It's I guess it's kind of three. I'll rank them as my favorites. Um, you may some, especially people my age, you know, this twenty to, between twenty and thirty, or I'd say between twenty four and thirty, might disagree that this being the second best. Uh, but the Sandlot, I love, love that movie. Of course, which who growing up as a baseball kid, who doesn't love this movie? Who still doesn't love this movie? Um, but it's just not. It's my. It's one of my favorites, but it's not my number one. Uh, but how iconic is is the Sandlot? I mean, how many times have we referenced the Sandlot? I want to say someone at work the other day, they knew that I they know that I know movies so much, so they were asking like, "Hey, what do they call?" They were yeah, that's what it was. They were I was busy at work, and they were like, "Hey, Jose, what is uh, what else do they call Babe Ruth?" And I was like, "The Great Bambino." And I'm like, "No, no, 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 they call him something else." I'm like, "Oh, I was like all the line of kids from the Sandlot, the Colossus of Clout." The King of Crash, the Sultan of SWAT, Babe Ruth, and it was at that moment that they knew they fucked up. No, they they were like, yeah, how did we know you were gonna know every single word? Uh, we just we were looking for Sultan of SWAT. Thanks, but uh, that'll do too. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if I need to go into the plot of the Sandlot. I think everybody knows. I mean, if you haven't seen the Sandlot, I'd love. I would love to know. I would love to know and ask you why. Why haven't you watched it? Why haven't you sat down to watch it? Um, definitely recommend if you haven't find it, watch it, please, and then let me know. You know what you think of it. Um, but kind of like I was saying when I talked about the bad news bears, I was always the the bigger kid on the team, um, and so actually, I want to say I got the name. When I was in high school, one of my buddies used to call me the Great Hambino. I want to say that's how my name was saved in his phone for a little bit, too, was the Great Hambino, which that's what they call uh, Ham Porter, who's the catcher, who just happens to be the big guy of the team, um, who's easily might be one of the most quotable characters in the movie. And actually, he still gets quite a bit of uh, of notoriety today. I, I want to say he's been on a few of the videos that the actual MLB Facebook page puts out. I know he's popular on TikTok right now. Um, I don't. I don't want to go as far as to say he's riding the coattails of the wave of the Sandlot, but it definitely opened up more doors than it would have had he not done the movie, um, which is cool. So props to him. Props to. Props to him for uh, still being successful uh, and utilizing that role. Uh, but I can relate with the with the story of the Sandlot. You know, they hit the 
Of course, I didn't have, my dad didn't have a ball signed by Babe Ruth, and I didn't hit it into someone's yard uh, and with a huge dog, and that dog decided to tear it up. Um, but I remember growing up, you know, when I was playing baseball, especially during the summer, so, you know, we would have, our season went in, and then we would play, we would, I would always make the all-star team, and so a lot of the guys that I played baseball with, during the day where our parents were at work, you know, we didn't live too far from each other, so they'd, they'd, uh, walk to the house or ride their bikes, and we would play baseball in the neighborhood, and then we'd go to practice in the afternoon. So we were literally playing baseball all day. And uh, I can't tell you how many times I've lost balls, baseballs in in my neighbor's yards. And I want to say our neighbors, our neighbors were so cool with us at the time. And they were so used to it. They used to tell us, just hop the fence and go get the ball and come back. Just don't break anything. And uh, so then when I was a kid, we actually, it's actually funny uh, to think about now, we used to replace our baseballs with uh, we used, we called duct tape balls. So I'd get a bunch of computer paper, mash it together to form a ball, and then I just wrap it in duct tape. And I remember now that I think about it, holy shit! I think I made like five or six of those, and that's a lot of paper, and that's a lot of duct tape. And I remember my dad, you know, as I've explained it before, my dad would work offshore, so he'd be gone a few weeks at a time when I was growing up, and then come back home for a few weeks. Um, he would get so mad. He's like, why are you using all of my damn duct tape? That shit's not cheap. And it's another one of those things that I just don't understand until I'm older and I'm the one buying the duct tape and I'm the one buying the paper. So I would be pissed too if Freely's doing it. But Freely, you're wasting all my damn duct tape, bro. And I'm going to be like, oh my God, I sound like my dad. But uh, yeah, that's that's how, that. those were our baseballs. And we used to take our bats out to the, I lived in a cul-de-sac growing up. And, uh, you know, we, we would just use those baseballs. And once you hit it over to the curb, that would be a home run. And so, because a lot of the cars are parked out in the street. So if we use baseballs, uh, we're breaking a window. And magically, I don't, I don't remember breaking a lot of windows when I was a kid. I know I broke one of my, one of my, the windows on my house. Uh, my dad had bought my sister this pitching net so she could pitch. And I decided to go out there one time and, throw one into the net and it bounced off the net and hit the hit my bedroom window and broke it. I'm pretty sure I cried because I was scared what was going to happen, but I don't think anything happened other than that they fixed it. Uh, but back to the Sandlot. So yeah, I mean, his dad, his stepdad has a, has a ball signed by Babe Ruth and he takes it to the guys to play with because they think they're out of balls and they're not. And it gets hit over the fence and, uh, destroyed by this huge dog uh, who's named the Beast who's owned by, as we already talked about earlier, James Earl Jones who's a blind man and come to find out later in the movie uh, he used to play baseball with Babe Ruth uh, but so the rest of the movie is is uh, basically how these kids are coming up with a plan to get the ball back uh get over the fence and get the ball back without being eaten by the beast. Because, you know, the dog, according to all these kids and all these facts, the dog's already eaten a kid already. Um, but we get introduced to characters like uh, the great Hambino, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, who, I mean, especially for Hispanic kids, but who didn't want to be Benny the Jet Rodriguez? Who didn't want to have their Dodgers jersey on with their pants rolled up? And uh, a pair of PF flyers on, running the bases and stealing home. 
Um, but some definite, definite, uh, definite uh, rem- memorable scenes in this movie too. One, you know, when uh, Squints kisses the uh, kisses the lifeguard. You know, he jumps in the deep end. They're like, "No, Squints, you can't swim. Don't do it." And he jumps in, and she comes in. What's her name? Sandy. Damn it! What is her name? Sandy something. She comes in and saves him, and she's giving him mouth to mouth, and he ends up uh, he. He opens his eyes and looks at the guys, and he's like, "Oh yeah," and ends up uh, giving her a, giving her a good old Frencher, and they get kicked out of the uh, out of the pool. I always felt like if I did that as a kid, if there was two lifeguards, if there was a hot girl who was a lifeguard, and there was another dude, it would be the dude to save me, and pull me out of the water, and I wouldn't figure out until it was too late that it was the dude doing mouth to mouth, not the woman, or not the girl. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, and then of course we get the the classic scene of name calling when uh, the other they're playing on the field and a couple other team a couple other players from the other team uh, come over and tell them you know you guys aren't good enough to lick the dirt off our cleats you know you guys don't have any real players here you don't belong in the league you know apparently us baseball players were pretty fucking rude we're bullies we bully kids who don't play in the in the same league as us. Um, and so Ham and uh, one of the other kids gets into a name-calling uh, a name calling fight. And, you know, <laughs> this is before the age of what we learned to call each other. Motherfucker. Um, bitch. Oh. <laughs> or some other choice words that I don't know if I want to name right now. Um, you know, you, you, know, you uh, butt licker. Uh, fart smeller. And, of course... The coup de gras, the worst of the worst that you can tell someone, you play ball like a girl. Which, can you imagine if they said that now? Who knows if that movie would be successful if it came out in 2023. Um, But, so the Sandlot, and then, of course, finally what's decided at the end of the movie to get the ball back is Benny decides, he has this awesome dream the night before. He has a dream that Babe Ruth comes to visit him. And, um, you know, he's telling Babe Ruth his problem. And Babe Ruth's like, well, why don't you just jump over and go get it? And he tells him, no, there's a beast. There's a dog that's eating someone. He's like, is that a fact? Is it true? And that's where we get the memorable line of, remember, kids, there's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered, but legends never die. And uh, so Benny wakes up the next day. And when he gets to Sandlot, he decides he's going to hop. He puts on a brand new pair of PF Flyers, which is designed to make kids run faster and jump higher. And he jumps the fence to go get the ball, jumps back over. But when he gets back over, the beast jumps over the fence, too, and chases him all around town. Anyways, it leads him all the way back to the Sandlot. And he jumps back over the fence into that yard. And basically, the... uh, He's cornered by the dog, by the beast, um, and the fence ends up falling on top of the dog. It almost kills him, but it doesn't. And they end up letting, they end up working together to get the fence off of him and save the dog's life. And they find out that the dog isn't violent, isn't going to eat them. And that's when James Earl Jones, who's the uh, owner of the house, comes out and um, he tells, you know, who. Who is it? Who's out there? And he tells them, you must be the kids making all that ruckus, all that racket. 
So he invites him in and he tells them, let's talk about this baseball. So they go inside and they, they sit down with James Earl Jones and they find out he, he's telling the story and they find out that he's blind. He took a fastball to the face and, uh, you know, it, as soon as it hit him, the lights went off. He was blind. And so he tells them, well, I'll fix your problem. You give me this baseball and I'll give you, I'll take this baseball off your hands and I'll give you this baseball, this other one that I have. And they don't know it yet. And they didn't know that he had played with Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth. And they're like, hey, sir, this is actually signed by Babe Ruth. He goes, I know. So is that one. But along with the other 1927 Yankees. And so the agreement is, you know, the, the kids are like, well, why, why would we take this ball off your hands and give you this old chewed up ball? And he tells them, look at all, you know, he, he, look at all the memorabilia that he has and he doesn't need it. He can let this ball go. Plus, he got to play with all those guys, too, back in the day. So the only agreement is the only stipulation is they have to come back once a week to talk baseball with him. So they get the ball back. Of course, he has to tell his father or his stepdad, you know, like it's not the same ball, but it's even better. So his punishment is only getting grounded a week. Uh, so definitely a heartfelt movie, a nostalgic movie, a movie that we love to watch, uh, especially as big baseball fans. Um, now, I would say my, especially my favorite baseball movie to watch, especially when spring training starts and opening day creeps around, it's got to be Major League. And Major League 1 and Major League 2, out of the two, the first one to me is the better one. Um the second one is still good, and I actually just recently watched the second one. I found out that uh, I remembered that I had a DVD that had both of the movies on there because now I can't find them on any any streaming to, any streaming network. So like, streaming Netflix, Hulu, HBO, like get your shit together. You don't have any baseball movies on, and it's and baseball season's literally coming up. Like, get your shit together. Um, but Major League, I don't know what it is that that makes me like it so much. Uh, I don't know if it's the, Lou Brown, the manager, with his raspy voice, uh, the shitty characters, the the Pedro Serrano who can only hit a fastball and has to pray to a voodoo god to come and help him hit a curveball, or if it's Charlie Sheen with the shitty haircut being deemed as the wild thing. Um, I don't know what it is. It, all of it together just seems to work, and it's what it's one of my favorite movies, and it's definitely probably my favorite baseball movie. Uh, but here is a screw tightening fact for you guys in Major League Two. So the team, the movie is set to portray the team, the Cleveland Indians. But the movie was not shot at uh, the, the ballpark where the Indians played. The ball, the movie was actually shot at uh, Camden Yards, uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. So, and I noticed this the other day, I was watching Major League Two, and in the backdrop of, of right field, you know, there's this iconic looking building, it's an orange brick building with all these windows, and I was like, wait a minute, that's, that's not, uh, that's not Cleveland's ballpark, that's, that's Camden Yards, and my wife was like, what, what is, what's that, and, and I was explaining to her, she was like, oh wow, only you would fucking notice that, know that, so I looked it up, sure enough, Major League Two was not filmed uh, in Cleveland. It was filmed in uh, in Baltimore, and uh, the reason they put the reasoning as uh, 
they couldn't work around the schedules of the Cleveland Indians and the Cleveland Browns who were sharing uh, the same stadium at the time. And so that's why it had to be filmed there and not uh, not in Cleveland. And the first one, the movie's not shot in Cleveland either. It's shot in uh, in Milwaukee. I think it's a I think it's one of the county stadiums. Um. So, but neither Major Leagues one or two was ever shot at in Cleveland. Um, and of course, the as we both we all know, the Cleveland Indians don't. The franchise itself still exists, but the name was changed last year to the guardians due to the due to the name being offensive to uh native americans or anyone or indigenous people and we won't get into the name change and what we think about that but pretty cool uh pretty cool thing to bring up and actually the hat that the indians used to wear donning chief wahoo on the top of course is not used anymore i don't even think they're allowed to sell it or display it in the stadium at all i actually have I still have that hat. It's one of my favorite hats. I don't wear it to be offensive. It's just, it's a, uh, it is a remembrance of just one of the baseball logos that I loved so much growing up as a kid. Um, but Major League, so here we go, getting another story of a team. This team actually wants to do bad, though. They're not, they don't, they're not trying to fill seats. So in the first one, the owner, she is trying to relocate the team to Miami. Um, she's trying to move down there. And so what her plan is, is let's let's assemble a team that is so shitty and so bad that they're going to lose every game or most games and our attendance is going to plummet so bad that we could be released from the city of Cleveland and we can move the ball team ball club down to, to Miami. So that's what she does. She gets a bunch of either washed-up players or degenerate players, uh, players that never been heard of or way past their primes to come and play baseball in Cleveland. And then she hires a manager who's never worked in the big leagues, only uh, worked in uh, in the minors or in semi-pro leagues. And his name is Lou Brown. And Lou's got, Lou's got this raspy voice, and he works at a tire shop. <laughs> so when they call and ask him, hey, Lou, do you want to – how would you like to come in and have your shot at managing a major league ball club? Um, how would you like to come down to spring training and manage the Cleveland Indians? And all he responds with is, well, I don't know, Charlie. I've Let me think about it. I got a guy on the other line talking about some white walls. Let me talk to you later. <laughs> and could you imagine turning down a managing spot, a spot to manage a big league team? <laughs> Because there's someone on the other line who's trying to buy some white wall tires. But ultimately, of course, Lou decides he, he takes the job and he knows he's got his work cut out for him. And I don't the way he handles situations with the players as they come up and how he talks to them makes me laugh. Like uh, Wesley Snipes' character, uh, when he's introduced, you know, he's Willie Mays Hayes. You know, I I play like Mays but run like Hayes. And so when he's up to bat and, and during batting practice, he keeps popping it up. And everyone knows he's fast, so Lou Brown tells him, You may run like Mays, but you hit like shit. <laughs> and so he tells them, you know, you need to hit the ball on the ground and you need to be legging them out with your speed. So then we fast forward to opening day, and Willie Mays Hayes is playing center field, and he's showing off. And so he goes, <laughs> he goes up to... Someone hits a, a pop-up, and he goes to catch it, and he does a little... He does his fancy catch where he bask, he catches it in the body, 
And so it's kind of a spectacular catch. So when he runs back to the dugout, <laughs> Lou Brown's had agreed him. He's like, nice catch, Hayes. Don't ever fucking do it again. And then Lou had just this way of being able to take care of insubordinate employees or players. That I just I wish we could do today. Yeah. So he tells one of the the third baseman on the team, Roger Dorn, he's a, a prima donna. And uh he goes during spring training, he's taking he's taking uh, grounders and he plays one. He doesn't get in front of the ball; he plays it off the hip, is what we call it. And <laughs> as soon as he does it, the ball gets past him, and uh, Lou comes up to him. Come on, Dorn, get in front of the damn ball! Don't give me this Olay bullshit. <laughs> and he ends up telling them like, "Well, every time you you play one off your hips, you know, or you don't get in front of the ball, you're going to uh, you owe me thirty sit ups or some shit." And so later on, Dorn ends up bringing his contract. He tells him, see these, these sit-ups? I don't have to do them. It says I don't have to do any calisthenics. I don't deem are necessary. And so they're in the middle of the stadium. They're in the middle of the field in front of everybody. And Lou just gets <laughs> gets his contract, yanks it from his hand, and throws it on the ground and takes a piss on it in front of everyone and walks away and doesn't say anything. Such a, what a badass. You know, we all, he's kind of the typical, uh, he's kind of the typical baseball manager too. That's, they all they all just don't seem to have a lot of room for bullshit, <laughs> and somehow no find a way to put us in our place. Uh, but then you have Charlie, you know Charlie Sheen. He comes in and he's uh, he can throw. I mean, he can throw. He can throw the ball hard. He can throw it in the nineties, but he doesn't have any control. And so that's the whole, that's the goal of the team right now is to try to teach him Tim's control. So he, we better teach him some control so he doesn't kill anybody. But so prior to him getting invited to Cleveland spring training, he was a, he was in jail. So that, that's how he gets the name. The wild thing is he was, uh, you know, he was a criminal he was getting caught for stealing cars. Uh, and then other guys on the team, another notable person on the team, other than Jake Taylor, who's the catcher, who's just an old guy who's got one final shot at the championship, uh, is Pedro Serrano, who's played by, God, I can't think of his name right now, but you've all seen him because he was the uh, voice of the Allstate, he was the Allstate guy, the, are you in good hands? Uh, he plays a, a Cuban guy who's defected from Cuba. And he can hit a ton. He can hit. He can. He can hit a fastball, you know, a mile, but he can't hit a curveball. And so when they're in the dugout, or when they're in the, uh, when they're in the clubhouse during spring training, he's praying to a <laughs> statue of a god named Jobu, and he's offering him cigar, and offer him rum. And he says, Jobu, help take fear out of bats, because I can hit straight ball very far. But I cannot hit curveball. And so one of the old guys that's that's another pitcher on the team, he's he's walking by and he's like, Maybe instead of fooling around with all that drunk, you might want to take up Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Serrano just looks at him, he's like, I like Jesus very much, but he know how to hit curveball. And all all the old guy has to say, You trying to say Jesus Christ can't hit a curveball? So then that kind of starts a mini like I guess a feud between Eddie Harris, who's the old guy, and Serrano. Because then later, uh, as Harris is leaving the dug, he's leaving the clubhouse while everyone's taking the field, and he sees that uh, Serrano's left uh, Jobu a uh, a shot of rum. So he takes the shot, and he tells Jobu, 
up your butt, Joe Boo. And he takes the shot. So he takes the field and he's all, hey, bartender, Joe Boo needs a refill. And he ends up getting hit with a loose bat. Someone swings and lets go of their bat and hits him. So then he's just sitting in the dugout with an ice pack over his head like, are you fucking kidding me? Joe Boo's real. So then as the movie progresses, uh, Eddie's now throwing, when he's warming up in the bullpen, he's got a little statue of Joe Boo next to him. <laughs> and uh, so even now, even Danny talks about Joe Boo. Joe Boo. Um, she'll joke around. She's like, man, the Rangers really need to pray to Joe Boo to, pull, to get better. Uh, or... And, I think even this like this year, I put a post out. I was like, "All right, guys, spring training's underway, or or uh, opening days in a few weeks. So pray to Joe Boo so that your team needs, uh, so that your team team's bats wake up and can hit the curveball." Um. So with this movie, we get the song. I mean, it features the song "Wild Thing." So when uh, when Charlie Sheen's character comes out to pitch when he's moved to reliever or a closer. You know, he'll come out and they'll play this song, you know, Wild Thing, you make my heart sing. And so I'll, the other day, after I watched this movie again and getting ready for the season, uh, then the other day when I was at work, after I watched it, I was just walking around, you know, Wild Thing, you make my heart sing. And some of the guys were just kind of looking at me like, will you shut the fuck up? And I was like, will you quit being a miserable fuck? No, I didn't tell them that. I just bought that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so like we get songs like that and then as they go on the street to get better and the plan, the owner's plan to have the team tank and move doesn't really go her way and they start, they start winning. She hears this song more and more. And then there at the end of the movie, when he comes in for the last time, the camera goes to her and she, you know, she's like, I hate this fucking song. (laughs) It's kind of how I feel right now when I've been going to work lately, I'll walk in and I'm like, I hate this fucking place. <laughs> so how the team finds out that that's what she wants, um, they uh, one of the one of I guess I think it's the GM, whoever she has hired as the GM, comes and tells Lou like, hey, you know she wants you to she hired y'all so that y'all could lose and then move the team to Miami. So then when Lou tells the uh, the team that in the clubhouse, uh, this is actually where we get one of my favorite scenes too. Um, he's telling him, he tells him, you know, Hey, she hired us to lose. And if it doesn't happen, she's going to replace you guys with someone who will help us lose. And at the end of the season, we're all going to either be sent to the minors or be cut. Taylor, Jack Taylor, who the old, the old man who plays catcher stands up and he's like, well, I guess, I guess there's only one thing to do. And they're like, what's that? And he's all, when the whole fucking thing. And it's just such a. It's such a it's such a classic line, such a classic champion. I can't imagine being in a in a locker room and you know we're down, whatever, with so much time to go. You know, so hey, we only got one thing to do: win the whole fucking thing. And so the team kind of takes off, and they start uh, they they start working together, they start working harder, and they start winning. And uh, so, like I talked about earlier, they get on this win streak and they put all the wins together, and it all culminates to. They finish tied for first with the Yankees for the ALEs title. And so it comes off to a one-game playoff for the for the division title. And so that's the final game of the movie. And when they win it, um, you know, they're celebrating because they won the division. But you would think, you would think in a movie, okay, they're celebrating because they're going to win the World Series. 
or is it just the division? Like, I don't know. It, it's it's one of those things I've always wondered. Like, well, how come these baseball movies don't have teams winning the World Series? Why is it always just winning a division title or uh, a round of the playoffs? Like, because for me, like the Rangers have gone to the World Series twice, so they've been American League champions twice. I mean, that doesn't mean shit. I mean, I want a world title. I don't want to celebrate winning another division, winning another league championship. I want to win the fucking World Series. I want to win the whole fucking thing. Uh, but uh, that's just the way it is. And in the second Major League movie, they it does show they go off, they go into the uh, American League Championship, American League Championship Series and win the win the American League. And then, but it doesn't show them. It, it tells them they go to the World Series, but it doesn't show them win the World Series. Um, the second one is it's good. I just watched it the other day. It's still it's still a good one. It's I still think the first one's better. Uh, but that's kind of that's kind of just what happens. A lot of times the second movie, you know, kind of falls short and isn't as good as the first one. But it's not one of those cases where it's an unwatchable one. The second one is still pretty, still really good. Um, but so in the second one. So now they're under new ownership and they've they're building a team to win. They they've added a few other a few other players and they're bringing back the same crew even though Willie Mays Hayes was played by Wesley Snipes in the first one and now he's not he's played by another actor. Uh, it's still Willie Mays Hayes, but uh what happens is the team I guess gets kind of overconfident and they do start losing. They're slumping really bad and the the team is for how much they paid in the off season to some of the new players they're at a risk of going under so guess who comes back into into uh into management or ownership miss rachel phelps who was the original owner of the of the indians in the first movie which i don't know if i've said her name already but so she comes in and what happens again the team team can't stand her so they go on another streak and then leads them all the way to the American League Championship Series and they end up winning and uh, Charlie Sheen's character Rick Vaughn he's really struggling and so when he finally gets his look back in the second one he comes out to close the game uh, to win the pennant uh, at the end of the movie he comes out and he hadn't used the wild thing the wild thing song all year long so he decides he's going to use it again. And uh, so the stadium plays the song and everyone starts dancing and singing. And her reaction to this movie is, oh, no, not the goddamn song again. <laughs> so he goes up to the mound and uh, Taylor, the old catcher, he's actually the manager of the team in this in uh, in this movie. Lou Brown's still the manager or still in leadership, but he's uh, he's in the hospital due to his uh, condition with his heart. So Taylor's the acting manager. Anyways, so they go up and there's there's a runner on second and third and there's two outs in the ninth. All they gotta do is get one more out to to win it because they're up by a run. And um, so they he's like, okay man, just come in here, pitch to Beck. He likes him on the outer half, so jam him. And he's like, fuck no, I'm gonna walk him. And, like, and Taylor's like, are you gonna load the bases for Parkman, who is a power hitter, who's as Bob Euchre, Bob Euchre plays the announcer in these two movies, and he—that's one of the, that's one of the best characters in the movie—is the announcer because he he embellishes everything about this Indians team because he's so used to them sucking. But uh, he's 
So he's going to pitch to Parkman, who's who Bob Uecker says uh, hitting just over 900 against Vaughn. And uh, so he, every time he's faced him, he just crushes the ball off of him. And so he's Taylor agrees. He's like, okay, you know what the hell, Rick? Go ahead and and walk back and pitch to Parkman and get him out. And so he starts warming up, and they do the intentional walk to Beck. And Bob Euchre's like, and they're going to walk Beck to get to Parkman. Obviously, Taylor's thinking, I don't know what the hell he's thinking. <laughs> so I still use that today. Like, it's like if someone's doing something, I'm like, I don't know what the hell they're thinking. And Parkman was actually on the team at the beginning of the movie. But uh, he ended up getting traded away and just ends up smashing the ball and killing Cleveland. But the movie ends with Rick Vaughn striking him out and the Indians end up winning the pennant. And I can't tell if it's documented. I don't think it says anything about how if they won the World Series or not. But I guess that's the closest that I've seen a team in a a, uh, a movie, a baseball team in in a movie, get close to winning a World Series. So Bob Euchre's character, like we talked about, he's the announcer. He's the play-by-play announcer for the Indians. And like I said, he embellishes everything. Harry Doyle, that's the character's name, Harry Doyle. He's Harry Doyle, who's the Indians' play-by-play announcer. Um, and so, like at the beginning of the first movie, Vaughn throws up his first pitch. I mean, it's fucking in the other batter's box. And he makes it seem that it's just, Mr. Blake, just a bit outside. And he ends up walking three people in a row. And he's like, I don't understand how these guys can lay off these close pitches. And every pitch has been way out of the strike zone. And uh, in both movies, he turns to he turns to drinking while he's broadcasting because they suck so bad. And he said, what does he say? He said something. He's like, uh, he says the word goddamn. And he's like, you can't say that on the air. He's like, no one's fucking listening anyway. <laughs> but... So that is my list of baseball movies. Those are my favorite baseball movies. Those are all the movies that I've been watching for the last month or so since spring training has kicked off. And those are movies that we're going to be watching around my house probably for the next month or so again uh, with the with the dawn of the new baseball season, the 2023 regular regular season starting this Friday. Now, hopefully my my team, the Rangers, hopefully we have some good fortune coming this week, but I don't or this year. I don't think so. Um, now we made a lot of good moves in the off season with hi- with hiring with well yes hiring Bruce Belshi, I think that's how you say his last name Bruce coming in from the uh, out of retirement previously with the Giants uh, he's got three World Series titles and hopefully he brings some new dynamic to the Rangers uh, we have signed a two time Cy Young Award pitcher in Jacob Degrom but I'm hoping that doesn't bite us in the ass since he's very injury prone. Um, and hopefully some of the bats we signed a couple years ago with or last year with uh, Corey Seager and Marcus Seeming come alive. But I, I think the Rangers will come have will be more competitive in our division this year. I just don't think we're definitely not gonna win. We're not gonna beat Houston. The Astros are gonna win the West, undoubtedly. Uh Oakland's gonna be Oakland's not gonna is gonna be irrelevant. Oakland's not gonna win not gonna get close to winning anything. Uh, so I think the Rangers, depending on how good they play, they can. The best case scenario for them is to finish second in the division and make the, make the playoffs as a wild card. Um, but I think worst case scenario is we finish at fourth. Uh, but I'm hoping that we can at least try to try to challenge for second place and and make it into the to playoffs with the wild card. 
But uh, guys, if you're a Rangers fan, let me know what your predictions are for the team. Are you excited for this season? Are you excited for the new additions and see and the new management and see what's going to happen? Uh, getting rid of our, uh, getting rid of JD Jeff Daniels. Uh, was that a good or bad thing? I'd love to hear what you guys have to think about that. And if you're a baseball fan, and you don't like the Rangers. Let me know how you think your team's going to do. Uh, unless you're an Astros fan, I really don't give a shit because the Astros are probably going to win the division and probably at least go to the ALCS again like they do every year for the past seven years. Uh, but I'm kidding. If you're an Astros fan, I'd, I'd love to hear your opinion too. I mean, uh, what do you think about this team? Do you think they're going to do you think they're going to repeat as world champions again? I think they have a good shot to. Um, tell you what, they've got some star power, they've got some pop in their bats, and they've got some damn good pitching coming back again. But, uh, uh, guys, I, that's gonna conclude. That's gonna conclude this episode. I appreciate you guys coming to listen. Uh, I appreciate your patience last week with the late episode. And guys, continue to uh, just continue to hit play. And I, I thank you guys so much for the continued support and the continued uh, viewership and listens that you guys are giving me, and all the interaction on the Q and As and the uh, and on the Facebook page, guys. Um, we're still we're about 40 listens short of 200 hopefully we'll get there at the end of this week or at the end of this episode and stay tuned next week guys we're gonna have two special guests on the show my friends ship and kit are coming over we're gonna be talking about tombstone we're gonna be talking about nonsense we're gonna have a good laugh and we're gonna have something good in our cups to drink guys so stay tuned uh, as always guys have fun enjoy yourselves drink a good drink do whatever you want to do. Be safe. Uh, just know that I love and appreciate all of you guys, and I will see y'all next week.